Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog. We're a member-supported blog, podcast, and weekly email covering what's fresh and what's new and open source. Check out the blog at thechangelog.com, our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. And you're listening to episode 127, and Jared and I talked to Olivier Lacan about keeping a changelog, keeping just keeping your source in check so that everyone else knows what's going on. Change logs are important. We obviously think so because we're called the change log, but that's beside the point. Today's show is sponsored by Top Tile, CodeShip, and Rackspace. We'll tell you a bit more about CodeShip and Rackspace later in the show, but our friends at Top Tile, I, I got to say something personal just for this spot here because um, a- a- many of you might know I work, I have a full-time job, just like many of you have a full-time job, and that full-time job is purecharity.com. We do fundraising for nonprofits, really cool thing we're doing. We've been uh, doing that for the past three years, but we recently had a, a need for a, a higher engineering push and it kind of had to happen quickly. We didn't have a lot of solutions in place to go and find new engineers. We didn't have time to go and hunt people down and find the right people. So because of working with Top Top for so long here at the Change Log, I knew that they were the people we can trust to get some good answers. And so we put a couple of different job applications into Top Top for Rails engineers. And within days, literally within days, we had interviews with some of the best and brightest minds available for us. Um, and, and we couldn't have been more blessed because we just finished shipping. Um, in, in the next episode, actually, you'll hear this. Henry mentioned how we were shipping. And we, we shipped this large project over a month and a half. Um, after we hired some guys from TopTal, uh, two different engineers to come in and help out our current development team to to add that extra oomph to our to our output, and we could not have been more happy. We could not have been more saved because of the great work and awesome abilities that TopTal has for matching up. Basically, they're a matchmaking service. They match great developers with great opportunities, and that's just how it goes. So we came in and had a need. Those developers who had a need for for a position, they they had top title look to, and we had top title look to for finding the best, and that's exactly what they do. And they want you, if you're an awesome engineer out there looking to freelance and do all sorts of cool stuff with cool technologies, and you want to find some really really awesome opportunities, go to toptile.com/developers and tell them the changelog sent you. Enjoy the show. Today we're joined by. Olivier Lacou. And oh, that was. I did. That was I, close. Did I do good? Was it was it close? You did better in a, in a, in practicing. I, I did. Yeah. So, long story short, our guest is French. So obviously his name's a little <laughs> difficult to pronounce. Um, I'm here. Jared's here. We're here to talk about change logging, which is sort of meta in a, in a sense. And if if you know the voice of Olivier, then. You probably heard it on Ruby 5. You're prolific in Ruby, and you do things at Code School, so I'm sure you got your voice out there all over the place, right? Sadly, yes. I talk a lot. Well, in any case, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It is sort of meta because um, I stumbled upon this project of yours, um, which is Keep a Changelog. And the subtitle is Don't Let Your Friends Dumb Git Logs Into Changelogs, which I thought was pretty cool because, you know, we're the changelog. And everybody who does open source or any sort of software really is, to some degree, keeping change. Even proprietary software has change logs, right? So, I mean, this isn't just open source. This is sort of software, uh, you know, as you see it. 
this is what see this is why I wish people would do but I I realized in recent months as I was actually going through upgrading a lot of old apps a lot of apps that we have internally that um, people actually don't do that people actually tend to think that their software maintains itself or or as long as they contribute it then it's done and you don't really have to to do the side work right because it's kind of boring you know, to to keep a change log and actually write down like a journal, like, okay, we did this this week and that week, because it's just tedious, and people would rather be as impactful as they want to be. Well, even think about uh, those who are shipping apps to the App Store, like Apple's App Store or, or yes. the Play Store. You know, those even those apps, they actually a lot of the developers have a lot of fun with you know these. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're called change logs there or not, but. Uh, release um, notes. Release I think notes. They call them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually have but a it's folder. Still the same thing. Yeah, I have a folder of screenshots that every time one of those developers take makes an amazing change log where they're either really funny or they actually go through insane lengths to explain. By the way, watch out! Like this is the new stuff that's in this version. Uh, you might want to stick to this version. Like so much thoughtfulness and and a few developers, but the rest are just minor bug fixes. Minor bug fixes. Improvements, speed improvements, bug fixes, like all of these releases. What bug are you fixing? Tell me. Maybe yes. I had that bug. The issue and now number I'm super something. Happy. Yeah, give me some context. Yeah, and and for for especially for iOS stuff, like so many little subtle bugs that you could make people happy if you just mentioned what bug you fixed. It's yeah. just it seems so obvious, but people don't do it. So is there some is there a semantic version or version semantic uh, difference between change log and release notes, or maybe just the audience? It seems like. When I think of a change log, I think of the audience being technically sound and maybe even right. developers. When I think of release notes, maybe it's just in the app store, you know, obviously you're speaking to your end users. Maybe it just depends on who your end user is. Right. I, th- I, th- uh, I realized that while I was doing this project, actually, as, as soon as I put it up, someone came up and, and said to me, hey, um, so you're calling this a change log and there's actually a different thing called history or uh, news and in the in the Git or the GNU community, there's apparently a differentiation between those two. So there's one that's more release note orient, oriented, and I think that's the news. Yeah, so it's the news text file that you leave mm. in your repo. And that one's more generally like if you want to parse it really quickly. And the change log, they, they contend, and I'm kind of not super happy about that. They contend that the change log is just, it, it's okay if it's just a Git diff dump. Uh, and I think there's no value in that. If if we use Git and we can use Git log, why would you ever... You, you can do the same thing on GitHub. You can do a compare between two tags or two uh, specific release commits and you will see that diff. You will see those commit messages and you can go through every single one and how you know, sometimes there's just an angry developer going, ah, I fixed this super annoying thing and that, that there's no context. There's no semantics. It's It's very strange to me. I liked your um, – you say – so the the homepage for this project is keeping – or sorry, it's keepachangelog.com. So if you're listening live, you want to follow along. If you're listening, obviously, this is a podcast. You are listening if you're hearing this. But keepachangelog.com. Um, and one of the one of the questions down there says, um, is there a you – know, to Jared's question there, is there a standard changelog format? You know, And your answer is sadly no, but you hope to make – 
this particular one you're making as part of this project become the standard changelog file for all open source projects, and I would assume maybe others to follow along. And it's it's got this idea of added, de- uh, deprecated, removed, fixed, which I think is really important because it kind of gives you a rhythm to follow at least, you know? Yeah, and, and this is something that I noticed that a lot of people just see, say what was added and say what was removed, but they don't say, okay, was was something not deprecated? Because usually when you parse things, it's also as important to you to know that nothing was deprecated in this version and you can safely upgrade. Because if, if it's not mentioned, maybe it's not there, but yeah. maybe they forgot. Yeah. Maybe it's, it, and it happens a lot in open source projects because, you know, you get some, you merge a contribution and you forget to, that person didn't make a changelog commit and boom, you're, you're suddenly breaking all these installs from people. And it, it's just a lot of friction and pain that I think we could easily remove with a little bit of, you know, forethought. I love the uh, the dog you have in the background too. You warned us, but uh, the yeah. dog is still there. I, well, he's I might actually edit that he's, out, he's going nuts. I don't yeah. think so. He's having fun right now. He's actually it's, never done that that bad. But I think he can sense that I'm talking, so he's like, "Okay, let me let me screw with him." It's giving your uh, your side of the audio a little character, so to speak. Yes. So let me read your definition here of a changelog back at you, and then we can kind of discuss the difference mm-hmm. between this and and other things that may exist. You say that a changelog is a file which contains a curated, chronologically ordered list of notable changes for each version of an open source project. Right. And so I'm, I'm guessing that, I'm reading in the tea leaves here, that you're, you're emphasizing curation, mm-hmm. chronologically ordered, as, and notable as kind of the key differentiators between this and what uh, might be a history uh, file, which maybe is all the, all the, all the commit logs. So yeah, fair? and it, that's very fair. And I think the difference is 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 clear in the same sense. So you, um, if you think of an API, a public facing API, when you change things on the API, you you want to make sure that everybody understands what they are. They don't not really the low level stuff that you changed, but the actual public API stuff. So the private API stuff is nice to know. It's good, but it's not as crucial for you to know. So this is basically the same di- differentiation. It's like this is the for the outward world, not the people. Who work on the project necessarily. The people who work on the project know that there were things added privately, uh, that they did some groundwork for a new release, for instance, but that's not necessarily notable for the people using the software. Um, and I think that actually, we, we talked earlier about release notes for iOS apps or just yeah. Android apps. Right. I feel like I wish open source developers would basically crank up the empathy on their on their open source end users the same way that iOS developers sometimes do with their paid customers because yes people don't pay but if you if you keep such a a well curated list of all the changes first of all it it encourages people to do the same it makes it easier for people to jump in and con- contribute because they for instance I think Hamel was an example, or I was waiting for a feature in Hamel or a feature in Red Carpet, one of those things, and uh, I I was about to start working on it, and I thought, okay, so it's not listed in the README, uh, I can't find it anywhere, and I went through the change log real real quick, and boom, there you go, Foot, footnotes were added, uh, I think recently in Red Carpet, and mm. I was super excited because for my blog, it's just little footnotes, and you could do that very easily, and I didn't have to go any further. And of course, you can improve your feature descriptions on your on your library, but it's it's also great for people to just jump in and see. Wow! So yeah, when you you jump in a project, you you always assess how well maintained is this project. What better way to see how well maintained a project is than show you know what every 
every month, every week, every year, we have this these incremental changes, and this is all the things we carefully change and add. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, man, as a user of open source software and uh, somebody who's written a lot of software over the years, you know, I used to get really excited for like every single project update. And I was like, yeah. oh, I can't wait to just integrate, you know, upgrade and get this in there. And, and you know, kind of as you get scar tissue to the process of software development and realizing that your yeah. regression test suite is not as awesome mm-hmm. as, as you thought it was and there's still bugs, you know, affect you and, and trickle down. I get to the point where ah, I am very weary of upgrading uh, dependency. That's so sad. I that know, so, but I, let me just say uh, a solid change, like an, a release notes or a change log that actually provides me the information of here's the value in upgrading to our newest release, like high level bullet points, kind of what you're advocating for here of like, mm-hmm. here's why it's worth it for you. Here's the new stuff that is, you know, of, of value. Um, goes a long way. This is this is exactly that. Say, okay, this is worth this is worth me actually going through the process of upgrading this dependency. Well, that that process you talk about too. Like I think that you know to to your point, Olivier, that you say that that you wish more software developers, more open source developers, took some. I'm not sure what your exact words were, but you know, I'll think of it like just making it an important thing to curate it, to use your own words back at you this change log. And I almost feel like open source developers already have so much on them with issues and other stuff. I think that as it's gotten more social, it's gotten harder and harder to take care of the, the, you know, these staples, so to speak, like change log, read me uh, a history. These, all these files are like staples in, in software. And I feel like it's just more, more added overhead, you know, to deal with. It's, it's a good point, and the, the I think the word I used was empathy, and it's it's a difficult yeah, thing because you're when you're drained, you know, when you've worked so hard, and I know that a lot of people get a lot of flack uh, on their issues, and you know, people come in and just, just crap all over their project, even though they've worked for years and years to make it. Uh, but I feel like, in a way, if you think of it uh, as a preventive measure, preventative, preventive, I don't know. Um, you can you can basically okay let me carpet bomb in a way this information to make sure that less misunderstanding and less uh, confusion will happen to me if you keep a really if you keep a change log uh, and and you you and you do that often and regularly you're actually saving yourself the hassle of having to deal with people who misunderstand who are having upgrade issues basically you're just you're just saving yourself a lot of time and it's hard to see of course, because just writing down little things like that means that you have to take some time to reflect after a release or just as you're about to release. But Or you have to find out like, oh, what mer- pull request did I merge in and did they put a changelog item, stuff like that. But if you do, then you're actually allowing your project to be more lightweight in a way because stuff is down and it's written down. You have to worry. No, you're not the central repository of, will this break my software? The file is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just uh, kind of, this might be hard for, for a listening audience, but kind of just go through your version on keepitchangelog.com. Just kind of describe the format that you've this laid is out. Sexy. Yeah, Let's this read is, a changelog together. <laughs> I'm going to do it really slowly. Uh, so you have kind of... Should I slow the music all, down and everything? <laughs> Get some very white rolling. Put your, put your bassy voice on, Jared. Markdown yes. Markdown format. 
<laughs> I don't have a bassy voice. Did you just so say the word even... format? I just said mark. <laughs> yeah, markdown format. Is that Is everybody getting excited already? Everybody's excited. So you're you're advocating for markdown format. Yep. And uh, so the first thing you have, okay, the title. We'll get past that. But for each changelog entry, you have a version number, kind of a mm-hmm. well formatted date, which you kind of you. You have a section all about dates uh, mm-hmm. in here, and then you have four sections: uh, added, things added, things deprecated, uh, removed, and fixed. And in this example you give, you, your added has uh, three bullet points, but they're they're hyphenated. Um, the things added, and then your deprecated, removed, and fixed are all empty, but you don't just leave them empty. You actually explicitly state nothing. Can you just go through the the thought process behind this format and why you decided and think that this is, you know, I know you say it's not the truth at the bottom of the page, but this is something that you're advocating that people use. There's a ridiculous amount. So this is where we get really nerdy because every, every single thing you said, I had like thoughts going, okay, I have to explain this. So the date format is a big deal because Brits are super, this is great. I hope you have Brits listening. I'm French, so this is igniting a war, uh, you know, yet generations of war ba- between us. Brits have the stupidest date format. They put the number, they say 8 April 2014, and they pronounce it April 8th. That's, it's just mind-boggling. So basically, they have the wrong writing. So if they write it in a, an article, if you go to The Guardian and read an article in The Guardian, they often do that. Um, Americans have an also stupid way to write dates where they put the month and then they put the day and then they put the year just because, you know, why have a logical order ever? Yeah, I, and, thought, and, I thought ours was surely the worst. Right. But you're saying that the Brits is actually worse than ours. It is actually worse. So this is what I do. I basically, I anger people and then I say, <laughs> no, no, I hate, let's hate on these guys more. <laughs> and and uh, I you're think... You're just tearing us down over our date formats. Right. It was just, I'm just, you know, making people just, it's just strategy. Hear me out. I so like the, it. the last... The last one is the the slightly international date format, which to us is the MySQL database format, where you put the year, then the month, then the day. Makes way more sense because one, it's sortable easily. So if you have files in a folder and they're named with the, the 2014-05-31, you can sort that. They will never go out of whack when you're sorting it. So that's one reason. But the other reason is you can figure it out because... It's, it's different enough from the English and the American one that you can say, okay, this is clearly the year. And, I mean, why would, would the next thing be the, the day? Unless you right. really have the backwards American way of thinking. <laughs> it's like you actually well, inverse that thinking. Let me just uh, say that I, I use this format personally. Year, 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 dash, month, month, dash, day, day. I use that on everything. I could always just consider it the nerdy format. I don't know if it's like international format <laughs> because like only nerds would use this. People who think about like, oh, it sorts naturally in a directory, which I <laughs> do think about. And I use that on checks and I use it uh, and, and people, you know. Use that on normals, checks? Yeah. You know, wow. you put the date on the check and you use it. I mean, I just, I like consistency. So I'll just use the same like everywhere. I'm not going to I'm going to do like, that. Well, this is, this is my check context. So I'm going to switch to American date format. No, I'm just going to use the nerdy version. And people in here in America, they get mad at me for this. Like they don't, they're like, what, what's up with your date format? And I'm like, it makes the most sense, you know, biggest to smallest. It's not, oh, it's shit. unambiguous. So I'm totally in with you on your sensible date format. 
So you, you're you're sca- it even outside of change logs. Like let's just okay. get it everywhere. Let's start a revolution. So the, see, yeah. the, you have to make you have to make another website like single page website like this where you talk about let's uh, let I don't know keep a date format. I don't know what what you want to call it, but basically that the the thing that scares me in what you say is that I don't re- I didn't realize being outside of well having grown up outside of the American culture mostly I don't know what's super weird. I just know what yeah. doesn't make sense to me, but. There, there are things that I say or do that shock people and that surprise me because it's just not a big deal in Europe or in France. Um, the, so anyway, so the date is one super important thing. The other part actually is um, it's like headings. So the first heading, and this is something I've been criticized for, and I, I'm, I'm completely okay discussing it because as you mentioned, it's not the truth. It's just an idea for a convention. We can agree or disagree. We can improve it be better but the first uh, heading so like markdown has pound signs for heading so header one is changelog so the title is changelog just because what if you discover this file and you have no idea what it is if you're a beginner to open source and you jump into this text file that says changelog no what is this do you see changelog and then there's a, t- a subtitle was well, a little paragraph underneath that says all notable changes to this project will be documented in this file it's self-explanatory yes. i have context now I don't need to be a nerd like us to to understand that why is the did format like that. Now you know, okay, I can sort of this decipher what's this thing about. And then I use header two, header level two for every single version because uh, well, one of the reasons is that uh, GitHub added to I think GitHub flavored Markdown uh, the auto linking anchors on these headers. Yes. Which is great because that means you can automatically, if it's parsed as Markdown, you can link to the release by clicking on the little uh, paragraph sign that shows up next to the anchor level two. It's kind of hard to demonstrate. And finally, there's the third one, which is the individual grouped. Well, individual group, no. The groups of changes, so the added changes, deprecated changes, and stuff like that. Um, And the dashes are simply because now in Markdown, I think it's a GitHub flavor Markdown format. But a dash makes a uh, an order unordered list item, so it just looks better. Oh, yeah, it's and it, marked down unanimously that they did the the star or the dash. Oh. Right, to, you're right. Absolutely. So many people use that in email format and whatnot. So the idea right. was to translate from like normal way of writing words to something you can actually mark up without trying which, to. Which is a great idea. Yeah. Or and I guess mark down. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I didn't realize that the dash also did unordered list. I thought that was just the asterisk. But yeah, so I'm the guy on open source projects that actually goes and submits pull requests through your readme and then sneakily changes all the stars to dashes. <laughs> I'm that guy. Like your PR is just nothing but stars to dashes. What's up with that change? <laughs> no, I know. I sneak it in with other things. So you right, okay, people gotcha. go, all right, sure, I guess, whatever. Right. And they say, Do you ever get your PRs rejected and be like, this was a great change, except for the whole stars to dashes thing you tried to sneak in there? So now that it's public, it will happen. But no, it's never happened. And actually, my, my evil plan worked every single time. All right, let's pause the show for just a minute. Give a shout out to our sponsor, CodeShip. CodeShip is a hosted continuous deployment service that just works. We've been working with CodeShip for quite a while now. We really, really enjoy not only the product they've built, but the people behind it. You can easily set up continuous integration for your app today in just a few steps. And CodeShip has great support for lots of languages, all the test frameworks, as well as notification services. They easily integrate with everything you can think of, GitHub, Bitbucket. You can deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, 
or even your own servers, because that's the way you want to do it sometimes too. Uh, setup only takes three minutes. It's it's so quick. It really is just so quick. Get started today with their free plan and make sure you use the code the changelog podcast. That's really important. Use the changelog podcast, and when you do that, you're gonna get twenty percent off for three months on any plan you choose. Head to codeship.io and tell them the changelog sent you. Another thing I like about this format too is that you know the there's a debate in your GitHub issues for this uh, to some degree at least talking about what the format should be whether and I think there was some other sort of unusual format that you kind of balked at and I think it's a closed issue right now but you might recall that one uh, mm-hmm. some sort of other uh, I don't even know what the file format was but it was something weird I think Markdown reads well because you can read it as you would not marked up to HTML, you know? Precisely. But you can read it just like it would be without, like, reading HTML. You know, it's yeah. just easy to read on its own. But at the same time, if, it, if, a, if the parser is smart enough, it can take that same format and, like you said earlier, put the anchor tags on certain headings and allow you to, like, deep leak within the same document. So it has a lot of added benefits Regardless if it's plain text markdown or actual kind of like, you know, markdown, um, I don't know what you would call that, parsed, I suppose that would be yep. the, the better word. HTML wise. Yeah. No matter how you get the, the file, whether it's, you know, the dumb version text or the smart version parsed, mm-hmm. you get, you know, you get the same user experience or at least a similar user experience. Right, so it's portable basically. So yeah. the the idea is that you can you can have it on your local machine even if it's not you don't have a Markdown parser. It'll look fine, yeah. and then it'll look even better on GitHub or on Bitbucket or anywhere because they will parse it and you'll see it. What I what I've this again against the the idea is just try to keep it as accessible as possible, um, and that kind of that. I don't want to go talk about that. Right, like I don't know if you guys want to talk about that right now, but that stems from kind of what. My original open source, uh, I don't know, uh, what's the religious thing where you just go convert people? Um, anyway. Evangelism. That, my, evangelism. My, my, my previous thing was uh, Shields, and Shields was about uh, GitHub metadata badges. And the idea was, again, keep things accessible because there might be people who don't use your project who will see it. And then just get turned off immediately because they don't know what it's about, what version it's on, and stuff like that. So it's the same mindset, basically. Just making things as accessible as possible. And the the format you mentioned is org mode, which I didn't know about. Yes, before. that's one. I was like So what was that? Did you did you dig into it more? A little bit. So basically it's uh Emacs in the Emacs community, they use org mode for stuff like this. So they use org mode for everything that I think is uh metadata about the open source project. I might be completely butchering this, but this contributor talked about it and I it's nice that the Emacs community has this, but again, org mode is so seems so obscure and I think there was some syntax issues with the way I think it could parse markdown. Uh but yeah, it's I mean again make a great case for it the the what i'm trying to achieve is not to please everybody it's this this um this idea i guess that i take from the ruby community in a way because that i'm a ruby developer uh, is to it's great to have opinions everybody uh and i certainly have them but right now we're in a state that's not good i think and i think first we should achieve a, a modicum of consensus like just have a little bit of a convention on at least this basic format and then we can evolve it if you want. But let's have that first. So that way, 
at least every project you can think of, you can go and click on a changelog file and see what's it what's in it. Um, sadly, of course, yeah. the naming is an issue, but it seems I like, like the naming, there's a lot of projects that don't have any changelog whatsoever. So you know, something would be a, a huge step right. up, right? Right. And so what I encourage listeners to do is basically what I've been starting to do in the last few months. So I've put this page up and I've used this page as uh, as argument bullets to go inside of a project that I use. And that uh, sh- um, basically when I do an upgrade, there's a shock and I don't know why something doesn't work. And I say, OK, let's see the changelog. If there's no changelog, I'll say, OK, do you want me to make a changelog for you? This is what I offer. This is the, the format. Uh, are you cool with that? And at least two, three, or four or more, actually, people have been like, yeah, sure, you can do it. Uh, just send a PR and we'll make it. I think um, uh, sent, um, one of the contributors for Discourse, a uh, really great uh, British guy, I can't remember his name. But yeah, if you go to Discourse, um, they use something to mini profiler. Yeah, mini profiler, which yeah. is a, a rack mini profiler, right? So it's this really cool profiling thing that you can use in Ruby apps, Sam Saffron. Uh, and his changelog was strange because it was backwards. So the lo- the oldest changes was at the top, which is kind of mm-hmm. counterintuitive. And the na- the date format was a little strange because he's British. No, we can't judge, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I I started just basically <laughs> there. Yeah, but he's you know again amazing contributor. But because of his cultural background, it's that one he, thing the date you just can't like it because of that. Yeah, it's not just that. It was it was more stuff. So if you look at the history of that file, you see kind of the, the, what I'm trying to do. First, it's like reorganize and use Markdown. And people get hung up about Markdown, but Markdown, as you said, is it's accessible. very portable. Yeah, right. You don't need to know Markdown to understand what Markdown's about. And then the the chronological thing was the second change. So basically, I'm going to use this as an example of how you a template for how you would improve an existing change log, and or create a new one. Uh, I'm trying to create one for um, a, a Rails um, extent, uh, a gem called Strong Parameters, which is hugely important to anyone who's using older versions of Rails than the current one. And sadly, there's no. It's very hard to find out like what was added to this stuff, and some of it really is again crucial because if you don't know exactly the difference between version X and Y, then it's suddenly very frustrating and I don't want that. I want, I want to remove as much as I can as far as frustration. What are the other culprits of frustration? Like in your notes, you've, or at least on the homepage of keep a change law, you got uh, dumping a diff. You've got these kind of lazy ways to like do a change law, but not do a change law that right. sort of upsets everyone. So what are, what are some of the ones that like really get you angry? Uh, so the, the one thing, if you ever do a change log, uh, Having a, a section about added and removed is fine. If you ever change a back, you make an, a backward incompatible change and you don't put it in your change log, if, that should just be the only thing you put there. So really, if you if you hate change logs and you think I'm silly, just put one line for every single time where you change your API and you bump it up. It, I, it's, if you use semantic versioning, then I will bless you. You're the best person in the world. That's great. Uh, but some people don't understand semantic versioning. Uh, some people think you follow it, but you don't really follow it, things like that. Uh, so if you're going to change your API, your public API so radically, just make a little line that says, okay, now this doesn't work. You have to use this. That's it. That's the only thing I'm asking. <laughs> so, so again, like a huge generator of heat and like rage on the, on the open source world. 
is that just basically breaking the uh, the API, and you're like, "Ooh, there's a new version of this thing. Let's upgrade." And then you you turn into Adam. You just get really sad and bitter about <laughs> upgrading, <laughs> which is what hap- happened to me. This everything I've contributed for this basically is fueled by by mostly anger and yeah, it's all fueled by anger. So I take the anger and I try to turn it into something positive because I was upgrading this old app and all, this was happening over and over and over again, as you said. Test suite, green, nope, not working. Oh, why? That's why. And you figure and, it out. And that whole little kind of maybe, as a listener's listening back, like four or five minutes, you mentioned Shields, which Chad Whitaker has been on the um has been on the show before. He's, you know, I saw y'all do a virtual high five whenever that <laughs> moved over the badges. That was super cool. Um, yeah. And so that's that's a cool project for just for one. So just to make sure you know, we think that's an awesome project. And we haven't had you on the show. I never really knew who did it. I just knew that it was a cool thing. And then now it's part of badges. And I think there's a org behind it. And a lot of, they're yep. all kind of collected to one, one org now on GitHub, which is good across the board because it's like a, like the UN for badges, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Okay, okay, I'm going to steal that because that's a really New good description. Line. I yeah. have, a, a, I have a, a blog post that I wrote about this called An Open Source Rage Diamond. And that's exactly what it's talking <laughs> yes. about. Shields is the... It's, I like that we went there because Shields is exactly the, the, the response to why is everybody doing it wrong? So you could rant about it and make a blog post first and be on Hacker News and everybody hates and likes you. I don't know. Or you can... Take the approach of okay, what? What's the lowest amount of effort I can exert to fix this? And to me, it was so I was originally a designer, which is weird, uh, and graphic designer, and then web designer. And so I have Photoshop skills. They're rusty as hell, but I have them. So I, I it was like, okay, there's this Travis badge and this uh, dependencies badge from I think Gem Fury and there no uh, Gymnasium. Then there's their code climate badge at the time, which was like a, a, a blue a blue badge that just said code climate, and I was just mind boggled by that. And and because I didn't have these, any other additional info. No, it's like okay, so we're doing the the forum. Well, like, that's not uh, badge. It's marketing. Yeah, right. So which I can sort of understand. You're trying to you know yeah. market your business, but uh, and then it's, it's kind of like what the PHP BB signature era. You know, like let's put animated gifs in our readmes so that it's all flashing, super cool. Um, that sounds pretty awesome to me. No, 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 no. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Oh, ooh, let's, let's get them into our change logs. People have done that, though. See, it's kind of funny when you put one GIF and it's just, okay. Yeah. You see it at the bottom and it's really funny. So anyway, well, it was... one one GIF per release, maybe? <laughs> Can we get that? I think you that should going? make one, one GIF per release for the emotion the release is supposed to inst- yes, instill in people. That's good, yeah. There you yeah. go. So there you go. So you should, Jared, that should be your thing. Release I'll gift. open a pull request on your uh, change log. Oh, crap, we're live. Somebody, somebody probably registered that website. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, basically, I just made a, a template. I just made a simple template. The idea of badges, uh, Shields, is simple. So it's called Shields because of one of the best TV shows of all time, um, The Shield. And uh, you should watch that, by the way. It's a side note. It's a great show. Uh, the idea is a key and a value. Just like we know, it's just like JSON or any format that has a key and a value. Well, the key is, what is it about? And then the value is, for an example, simple example, build, passing, or failing. Dependencies, up-to-date or not up-to-date. Gem version, 
what is the gym version? <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. uh, the G- so Good Climate, which was, I've actually talked to uh, Brian Helmkamp from, from Good Climate and a bunch of other uh, people from other third-party vendors that did those badges. And I said, uh, would you be, would it be cool? You have this GPA thing on Good Climate, which is really cool. Why, why not put that on the badge instead of your name? And he was like, yeah, actually, we wanted to do that, but we were super busy with our startup. That So now you know why they did that, because it was just a stopgap. Um, so you end up like getting in touch with all these really great people who just meant to do well, but either didn't have the graphic skills to make a badge that looks exactly the same as I think the Travis badge was the first. So I made this thing and I talked to the Travis people and I talked to the Good Climate people and a bunch of other gym- gymnasium was really cool too. Um, and I said, okay, how about we make badges for you? And they're all consistent and similar color tones and similar font. And the font is more legible so people don't have to squint. They're like, what is the gym version? And then we make sure that every time you put a badge on these, we just recommend people link to that thing you do instead of trying to use the badge as, a, as an ad platform. You provide value and then we link to you and people will see, oh, Gymnasium is really cool. Oh, Travis is awesome. Um, and that took off like crazy. Uh, people started using these, the original PNG version of those badges all over the place, even before we actually had figured out a sustainable way to make them. So it was just me and my friend uh, Nick, Nick Acker, um, just making them manually or generating them manually for, for everybody. Um, which ended up taking a lot of time, but a success story nonetheless. Huh? And eventually, some like so open source did its magic. After a year, yeah. some a few people created APIs. I think we had a Go API, we had a Node.js API, we had a Ruby API uh, to generate them on the fly. And this is what Shields.io is. If you go to Shields.io, you'll see tons of examples of things you can just simply pass uh, a URL to, and the URL will generate a badge for you. Uh, which is which is now used by a bunch of services, and what's even awesome, greater is that you can do that for your license. You can show easily what your license is, what your uh, donations. How do you take donations for your open source projects if you do? And finally, they're all SVGs, so they're scalable. They work great. You can zoom in. Um, they're easy to update. So yeah. So you're trying to to. Bring up another uh, a conversion, convert conversion, a convergence, oh, yes. uh, similar to that around change logs, right? That's kind of right. the idea. Is like we can all just converge on this one format. We can all decide that change logs are important things that we need to try to do well. So let's right. assume that you've talked me into that, and I'm like, okay, I'm a developer. I want to keep a good change log. I'm down with this format um, that he's proposed. There's still a few things that I think are difficult. And maybe you can help navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one being, when do I uh, add to my changelog? Is it every release? Is it just uh, minor releases? Is it patch releases? Is it just major releases? So that's question one is like, when do you make a changelog entry? And then question two is, you, you say it's a curated list of things. So how do I decide what's worth putting in there and what's just noise? So first, the first part is every single release. If you every don't release. have something notable, you can say notable notable changes. Uh, this is something that you, I'm glad you asked because this is something I hadn't really answered yet. So on the site, so I'll probably add that. So when when should I do that? All the time. Uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to make a release or cut a release or you know push a release if you mm-hmm. don't have any notable changes. It's extremely rare. 
there might be some bug fixes, but even those bug fixes, you can say, okay, we had a few bug fixes about what? That's it. It just takes you just really quickly, quickly parsing through. If you're the release manager or if you're the, uh, the uh, main contributor, the lead contributor, something like that, it takes just uh, asking in your contribution. So there's a GitHub added support for contribu- contributing.md or contributing that you can add in your repo to say, this is what we want you to do when you contribute. So start here first. And they're linked to in every issue. Uh, every, if you start an issue, it's linked to. So as a maintainer, why not put that in there and say, hey, if you're going to bu- fix a bug, please make a change log entry. And a bunch of open source projects do that. And then th- there you go. Every minor release now has a symbol, a, sync- a, a, a change log entry that says, okay, we fixed this bug. Nothing else was added. So you can be relaxed. We didn't screw up your, your thing in the background. The second part of your question was, um, can you remind me? Because I just I, I lost your second part. Um, deciding what goes in, what's not worthy of going in. It's, it's to the actual it's, entry. I, so I think we discussed it a little bit earlier. It's if you um, if this is something that people as end users will um, send you um, packages with poop inside if they find out and you didn't do it. <laughs> Then you should. This is, it's a, such a simple check. Will Are you speaking people from experience there? <laughs> no, but I would do it. <laughs> I would. Def- do it. I like how you went was, there. Like, if they're right. gonna send you, like, don't. If they send you hate mail, that's cool. But it, packages with Im- poop in it, bad. Imagine you your GitHub profile. Imagine your profile on open source projects had your address in it. Would you be cool mm. with that? Well, that's another issue that might be Chad really creepy. Might. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chad would. But imagine like people could actually send you mail physical mail and it could be dangerous because they could put poop in it would would that happen <laughs> with this release because you forgot to mention something i think the poop test is a great test so i might I actually your add idea that though of the of putting stuff in it that breaks it because i'm thinking of um you know like when i upgrade wordpress plugins for the site or different sites <laughs> that are still in wordpress or whatever yeah like whenever i gotta bump up that plugin i mainly don't care about the new features they add i mainly care if it's gonna break WordPress because it's database backed and I've got to keep this database back up. And if something does go crazy, I've got to do, you know, a re-import of the old database to fix things or something that gets crazy. So I've had plugins totally break a WordPress theme. And all I want to know is like, you know, what is it breaking? What what bugs were fixed that might break my theme? Right. Regressions. It's it, it, People are acting as if bug fixes are just this holy thing that never, ever create regressions on anything. But yeah, if right. I know if I knew you fixed a bug in the language parser and suddenly I update and language parsing doesn't work for something, then I can tell, oh, okay, let me roll back. I, this is probably what happened. So again, you're, you're lessening the, the, the frustration level and you're allowing people using your software who know it's open source so they know it comes without a warranty, basically, um, in a way. To to self diagnose easier, more easily. Yeah, yep. release notes is a good word for it. I mean, they they tend to be. I like the idea of the 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 de facto being changelog, right? Mm-hmm. The changelog.md yep. even, or just a plain old flat no extension changelog file in there. Yep, um, that's cool with me too. As long as that format stays the same, because that's I think what's been the the way for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they basically are release notes. It's a way for you to communicate to those using it about the notable things, as you mentioned before, the most important things. Yep. There, there's that, something that worries me with uh, 
Well, it doesn't really worry me. So GitHub released something called releases. And that was about a year ago, I think. Uh, there's a blog post for it. And the, their idea was, let's be smart. So I think they were thinking really hard about how to improve that too on their end. And mm -hmm. releases is fueled partially by Git tags. I want just to mention that because what I don't like about the way changelogs are made right now, and a lot of people don't like them either, is that you can't really base them off of releases or if you actually tag your releases. So you say, okay, this commit is the point at which this is, your, is version 1.0. Yeah. Uh, in in that in that git tag which contains which is great like a lot of people don't know you could put a message on a git tag so if you do git tag dash m you could put a message and not a lot of guis allow you to see those messages which is kind of crappy and i i don't know if git github and other open source repositories allow you to see that but you could basically put those entries you know the added removed deprecated stuff in those git tags and that would be great except nobody knows how to do that so they've added support for automatically pulling. When you create a release, when you try to create a release on GitHub, it will actually try to find, it'll tell you what is the Git tag. Do you have a Git commit or a Git tag we could use? And if you have a message on that Git commit or the Git tag, it will pull that and say, do you want to use that as your release note? And that's great, except that it's very rare that people actually... It's even more rare that... I, that that people keep up-to-date Git tags for every version they release than it is for them to even have a change log in the first place. So it's a little like, ugh, I wish people... It, it, it's asking even more than I'm even asking from open source developers, it seems. It's time to pause the show just one more time for our friends at Rackspace. We've been working with Rackspace for quite a while. Love this hosting platform. They continue to dedicate themselves to support the open source and developer community with their developer discount. And now you can go make something awesome on them. You are the makers. You're the people with the ideas, along with me too. Sure, why not? But each day we get up thinking of new awesome things we could do, new ways to change the world. And they want to help you put your imagination and your skills to work. And Rackspace would like to give you something special just to say thank you. Sign up today for their developer discount, and you're going to get $300 in free cloud services on your Rackspace cloud account. This discount applies to new products like their performance cloud servers, as well as cloud queues. You're even eligible for early access to new features and products as they roll out. So make sure you sign up. $300, bucks, that's a lot of money. Make something awesome. Get started today. Developer.rackspace.com slash devtrial. I think we might be kind of talking around this issue that you have on the project. Why not use GitHub release notes? And you got a mm -hmm. you got a couple chimes in from GitHubers, Technoweenie, Beekeepers. Yeah. And I almost feel like GitHub muddied the water, so to speak, by having this concept of releases. Well, there's always been this concept of change log. Why not just enforce that or help lift that up and bring it into like they had done with pull requests and merges? They made these hard concepts so much easier, which is why GitHub is blown up the way it has, because they took what used to be hard to commit to a project or fork it or add to it, and they made it so much more accessible socially. Why not do yeah. the same thing for this idea of what a changelog is and represents for a project? 
it's it's true, but at the same time, I've I've had conversations with them, so I don't I don't work for GitHub, and I just have a few people I know that work for GitHub, and every time I I talk to them, it's it's fairly it's a really good conversation, and I can tell they care. I can tell they're trying to do it's like contributing that contributing file, for instance, a good example of what you're saying. What what why not just parse that changelog file and then display it somehow in the open source projects dashboard, you know, like as in a sidebar or I don't know, something. But in that way, it would be lower, as you said, easier to do. And it wouldn't add one more entry point for for releases. But I'm thinking maybe they have a point in the releases. I think something that I've noticed GitHub doing is just trying to make Git more accessible in general for every possible way. And releases is kind of saying, okay, well, you have tags, but tags don't really mean anything to most people. It's just like, what is a tag? It could be a lot of things. A release is a tag that has a specific kind of meaning because you ha- you could have tags that just say experimental, right? Or like Rails 4 or whatever. Like right. You have this little branch that you, you tag that. Um, that's not really a tag, actually. That's I'm confusing that. It's just a branch called that. But in this instance, like you could... I think you could see tags. Yeah, if you go to releases on GitHub, you can see all the tags that a, pro- a project has, and there's not a lot of metadata there. There's not a lot of context. They were basically trying to say, okay, we know that Rails and jQuery and all these projects have tags in their releases and stuff like that. Um, what if we just use that? So I guess they they had a way to do that, and I think it's really interesting how they make it uh, the, the flow of creating a new release as an open source uh, maintainer. Just okay. You pick a tag version, or you make a tag version, and you target a branch or a commit. Yeah, recent commit. You put a title on it, which is kind of ugh, for me because way okay. So what's the title? It's just uh, a new day, uh, yeah, a right. new hope. Um, we already know naming's have, hard, so right. So you're you're like making it harder on them, uh, yeah. but at the same time, what's well, more that the, overhead that that prevents you from doing it in the first place? Right. So. This is why conventions are useful because it means less thinking and more. It, you could so. What I like about their approach is the Git tag stuff. I think if we can down the line, if tools, if Git tools or Git itself makes it easier for this is more like a three year vision than right. like a in six months I can fix this. Uh, if they made it easier to manage and deal with tags, then it would be very simple for us to generate a change log on the fly based on the Git text. And that would be, mm-hmm. to me, the best possible paradigm because now instead of managing this file, you could have any service parse your Git tags and generate a change log on their own and display it the way they want. And it would be portable by virtue of being in your Git, you know, in your Git history. Yeah, the only time it would be lost if someone downloaded like a bundle uh, of your files or something. Then right. Without without the Git, you know, so and I, uh, hidden but directory, you, but... Let's say you could have a, a little, you know, generator, whatever your make tool is to, to make mm-hmm. your release. You could have it just actually dump an actual changelog file, and that would be really cool. Yep. We got to find a way. We got to find a way. And I'm glad you're on this mission because you seem very passionate about it. Plus, I don't think we got this in the show, but you're into linguistics, so you seem like uh, you've got some passion around the right words to say in the right ways. That's why you use the word notable, not just. You know, important or something like that. I think notable is right. an even more clarifying word to what you should put in your change log. So, um, you know, to close the show out, though, we always ask a couple cool questions, which we tend to get some neat answers to. So we're, we're hoping you always uh, th- that you deliver here as well. But um, no we're, Jared and I both and the listeners are also wondering, too. But who is your programming hero? 
See, I've thought a lot about this question because you you at, you sent me that a little earlier, and um, I think it's not really so much programming as just the way to think of what's the smallest thing I can do that can have the greatest impact. Right now, my hero is Aaron Swartz, uh, just because uh, through him, there's so much great change and important change has been affected. Uh, and I'm, I hope I'm using affected right, because if I'm calling myself a linguist, I guess that would be terrible. But he's, uh, he's well, I know if you, if you guys know, like this, he sadly killed himself, uh, I think, last year uh, mm-hmm. while he was being investigated by the, uh, by the FBI uh, and through basically just this, this sordid affair of just trying to release information that the public owns and should have access to so research basically to all the all the public research that is funded by the american government uh and you your tax dollars i'm being being french it's weird for me to care about this but there's even less care in france for that so to Mm -hmm. me people like him i don't want martyrs i i want you know i want people like him who just had passionately try to make things right and don't accept that because it's the way it is, then it should stay the way it is. Like when people say, oh, it's the law, it doesn't mean you have to break it, but that doesn't mean you can't change it. If it, there's a bad law or if Congress is trying to uh, make the internet less good, then maybe you should do something about it and could yeah. start with a tiny little thing. Like if you if you help bolster the open source community by contributing, ma- making an open source project that allows for people to see cam- campaign contributions. Or I have a friend called um, Tim Faust, and he's this crazy, super uh, Excel genius guy. And he's par- currently parsing through the Texas, I think, uh, gubernatorial or one of those, like basically the campaign spending on each parties to see what parties waste money on, which is super important information. So it's basically civic hacking type stuff. And uh, yeah, people like that inspire me a lot beyond technical. It's just like, okay, so why are you doing this? What is your your purpose? Because it's your technical prowess is great. And he I mean, created our nice marry those two, right? The socially aware to the technically right. capable, you know, right? And it's, that's, it's, a lot of people yeah. really, you know, were behind his, his. I mean, he was a big proponent of like the free internet and the freedom in internet of, of this, you know, of our data, uh, data security, data portability. So I think he kind of stood for a lot of that, and I can totally see why you feel that way. Yeah. So I recommend anybody listening to this uh, try to get a copy or see. Uh, the Internet's Own Boy, which is a documentary that was made about him. And it, it's it's very sad. You will cry. Yeah. Uh, there's no way you can come out of this like, yay, I'm so... But it might actually spark some, you know, uh, care for you. And, and just, it doesn't have to be as epic or as dangerous <laughs> as some of these things are. It could be something simple like this. So, yeah, that's my, that's my hero. We'll put... Uh... We'll put a link out to Aaron. And then we also linked out to the video you're talking about. It was a teaser. It was an interview of him as a teaser to the documentary. We linked that out in the Change Law Week, our weekly email that uh, we were sending regularly. We took a hiatus and we're relaunching it. So if you're sending us hate mail, I'm going to keep ignoring it for the next few weeks. (laughs) And then I'll let you know what's going to happen with it. But we linked out to that video because, like you said, it's pretty powerful. And I think it's important to to just be mindful of at least what his life represented and then what internet freedom is for us. Cause I think he really, you know, he was the, 
the cheerleaders, so to speak, for that. Is it the SOPA video? I believe so, yeah. It was, yeah. It was. Um, I think so he was at a conference and he was being interviewed and it was sort of like happenstance, but the the questions and the interview, I think, was just, I, I can't recall the, the scenario, but it was a trailer for that documentary you, you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's basically the story of how they, 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 they destroy SOPA by right. just, just working hard. And he just basically yeah. ranted about what's, I mean, in a good way, obviously. Sometimes yeah. the word rant can be used in a bad way. But in a good way, he was ranting about his beliefs on why we should care about this and why it's important. And sometimes people just are, like, oblivious to things, and they right. just don't see. And then you got the one outlier that's like, whoa, hang on a second. There's bright spots here no one's paying attention to, and here's what they mean for us 10, 10 or 5 years from now. And I think that's a really important, you know, Internet freedom is, is important. To give you a quick uh, person to admire that is sadly not dead, that hopefully not dead, uh, Larry sadly. Lessig. Sadly. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> that was backwards. <laughs> Let me just... Br- <laughs> We've got a linguist uh, on the call that he's... I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so Lawrence Lawrence Lessig it was uh, a mentor of uh, Aaron Swartz, and he's currently running a campaign called May 5th, or uh, I, I, may f- I, just, I forget the, the total name of it, but it's basically he wants to create a super pack to stop... And basically, uh, All super disable packs. super PACs. So super PACs I've being this. big political action committees that can raise tons of money, even though basically skirting uh, campaign contribution laws in the U.S., which is also a problem anywhere else. Like, there's tons of issues with campaign contributions. Basically, if you have money, you can buy enough stuff so that you can get your friends elected to do things like, uh, say, internet neutrality. Meh. Not right. necessarily that important. So things like that. Um, so he, he's a great example of the kind of spirit of you know Tim Berners-Lee, Aaron Swartz, Lawrence Lessig. Boom! I got three for you. Well, uh, nice. That's those are good heroes. We'll we'll put uh, links in the show. So for those of you who though may those may be new names for you, a couple of them are for me. At least one of them. Um, that the last one you mentioned. So I'll put notes uh, in the show notes for that. Um, another question I'd like to ask is. What's a call to arms? You know, for this project, we, so we we talked quite a bit about the importance of keeping a change log and what that means and what you put in there and what you don't put in there and the right format and the markdown and all these different notes of this. But you know, what is the overarching call to arms right now for keep a change log? If you're gonna make a change, keep it. I was I, that just came to me as you were talking. So if you're going to try to make things better, because open source developers generally kind of have this urge to, some of them change the world. I'm like, okay, well, it, what what if you make it a little better first before you want to change it? Uh, because change the world, it doesn't have a clear angle. It's like, what are you changing it to? Is it bad or is yeah. it good? So w- what if you fix a little problem, and then another, and then another, and when you do that, remember that other people can help you and that you're not this island. So I think Shields for me was the best example of that. I was this island. I was, it was one in the morning, like 11 PM and I was pissed off and I thought this, I was the only person who cared and I wasn't. And because I documented my project, because I spoke about it, because I talked about it with friends, people came in and they, they multiplied my, you know, the, the lever effect, basically that it's just, I was this one guy at the end of a huge stick in a boulder and then a bunch of people showed up and we just like lifted this gigantic boulder out of nowhere. And this is why I'm so excited about open source in general. It's just like you, if you care, if you pay attention to the details that you think maybe won't matter, then people will come and help you and make what you're trying to do even more powerful and impactful. So 
I hope people can take that out of that. Awesome. Our next question, our last question, um, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, which is working at Code School and, and podcasting and your open source contributions, if you weren't doing all that, what would you be doing? Uh, photography. So I started, I, I sold my camera when I was getting into programming a lot because I had so much stuff to learn and so much money to spend elsewhere that I sold all my rigs and I had, I've been taking photos since my mom, I think, had a camera when I was a kid. And, I, and I've always loved um, taking pictures of landscapes and stuff like that. But recently I, I purchased a, a Sony RX1R, which has blown my mind. Uh, it's a full frame, f- uh, small format, non-interchangeable uh, non lens camera. So you can't pop it off and put another lens in. But it's a 35 millimeter, mm. great camera, full frame and everything. Uh, and I've started doing a thing that I've been terrible at all my life is trying to take pictures of people. So trying mm-hmm. to take portraits of people and trying to capture not their good angle, not their their sexy looks, not their, I don't know, but trying to capture their, their essence and try to see the, you know, if I show this picture to somebody else, if I put it on Facebook, for instance, will the people who know this person say, this is so you? And it's a completely different kind of creativity uh thing that you have to do in your head to figure that out because you have to talk to people. And I think that's actually really helpful for open source and or just programming in general because we tend to do that in a slightly in a vacuum that having to uh tr- either <laughs> either trick people into trusting you or like having people trust you enough to get close to them and take a picture of them and have them be genuine to you that's it's a, a really really exciting i've been doing that so i've had this i think instagram thing i hope i wish instagram had public okay big rant if anybody who knows anybody at instagram <laughs> Okay, they have tags. They have these like hashtags, and none of them are available on the internet. You can see my profile on Instagram dot com slash me, and you'll see them, and you can find them. But you can't have a a hard like permalink to, and it's not public data. I know they own it, but please, someone on Instagram make those tags public because sure, there's some really crappy ones, but there's something great called um, People of Orlando. So I'm, I, the code school is in Orlando and I used to live in Orlando and there's so many great people, so much crap from being in Florida, of course, but there's so many great people and there's this photographer called Patrick Chin that started this thing where he basically goes up to people and asks them about their life, their story, and then takes a picture and he tells that story on Instagram, which wow. is, I think, I think a really cool thing that a lot of people do in other cities, but they're strangers. He's never met them and they all have great stories. So that's what I'm trying to do basically. I'm just checking out their API docs while you're talking because I'm thinking, yes. man, you got to be able to get them somehow. And there's definitely tag endpoints in the yes. Instagram API. So someone could build this. But you have to be authed. So there, I think Statagram or whatever Statagram is now called, uh, you can see tags, but you have to be authenticated as your yourself. It's not a public endpoint, I think. Oh. That might well, be the problem. Anytime I get interested in something new too, so let's, let me give you a, a, a half a second, I guess my half a minute rant. Like uh, for a bit there, I was like really into learning about drones, right? So you got the mm-hmm. Phantom 2 and you got several others. And it's really easy to kind of dig deep into what's the pulse of something going on visually and, and even like, I guess, the 10 second video they offer mm-hmm. by just kind of browsing tags on Instagram. Right. You know, droning, um, you know, Phantom 2, pick your name. Like even if you're, in, you know, somebody who's an audio geek uh, researching a new mic, you can go on there and see like, bourbons if you're into bourbon uh mics yeah. if you're into mics and just kind of like look at the tags 
and get a snapshot of what the community around that interest is uh, is doing, saying, using how it looks in their environment. I make product decisions sometimes based on what I see people using. I mean, you know, I'm a foodie. I go to restaurants and I do that all the time. I, I go to the restaurant's Instagram or I look at their tag, like whatever tag you can find for that restaurant, and I look at the food and I see how good their presentation is. And I'm like, hmm, I'll go there because Yelp yeah. sucks at that. Their photos are terrible. Yeah. Um, the last question we asked, we do have a kind of a, not so much a hard style. We just try to keep it to a certain range here so we don't lose people and, and people don't listen anyways if it's too long. Um, is what would you be doing if you weren't doing what you do? So I guess we really didn't learn Adam, much. I already asked that one, man. Did I miss that? <laughs> yeah. Is he doing photography? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's we just talked about, about that's That's how we got onto that topic. Oh, my mm-hmm. Lord. I still have to wait for just a quick second. I asked Jared to take over, and I totally missed it. So uh, since you're listening live, you'll get this. The people who listen on the podcast will not get that. <laughs> I will keep my comments to myself in. and just roll on out. But Leave uh, it in. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, you know, it was, in any case, it was a good show. I think this is a an, inter- an important topic, so I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, it was a pleasure. Let us know however we can help. You know, we obviously like to keep uh, keep a change log on, on our own, so we're definitely into this. You're not you're not fighting the fight alone. Um, right. to, to trail off the call, I want to thank two of uh, or three of our sponsors, TopTile, CodeShip, and Rackspace for helping make this show possible, but... Uh, that's it for this week. We'll, we'll be back next week. I think um, we've got Justin Searles with Lyman. Yes, yes. And that was I actually. I love that guy. He's the best. <laughs> That's actually so who happy. you were referencing in, or who actually put the. Yeah. Uh, which one was it? The... He opened the issue about using GitHub's release notes. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. And he uses it for Lyman. Yes. So, so we'll, we'll have a We'll probably nice extend this conversation a little bit there just, to, just, just because. So that's it for this week. Let's everybody say goodbye. See ya. Goodbye.